All personnel, please report to the quarantine zone. This is not a test. A new episode of Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee is about to begin. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee. I'm your moderator, Mark Mernan, and once again, I am joined by the phenomenally talented Wes Lover, pastor of of Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, and the inimitable. You can't be imitated. I am inevitable. (laughs) (laughs) That's how we look at you, too. Andrew Jacobson, pastor of Sand Harbor Presbyterian Church in Jupiter, Florida. Gentlemen, good to be back with you. Yes, in the flesh. In yeah. the flesh. I've been away for a little while. But I've been away. Yes. Back again. Well, as, far as, the, as far as <laughs> the audience is concerned, we were gone a week. A week. That's it. Really? Just a week. This is the miracle. Oh, okay. Nice. It's right. the miracle of, of technology. Yeah, but where, where were you, Mark? What were you doing? We were in uh, Asheville, North Carolina. Nice. God's country. Yes. As opposed enjoying, to the backside of... Enjoying a respite from the, the assaulting heat. Yes, Florida. that was the purpose of it. We didn't. We worked the whole time, but we were assaulted by the heat when we got back. Yes, it's a bit um, toasty. But thank you for keeping it warmed up for us. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> we left the lights on, <laughs> like Motel Six. Mm. We leave the lights on because it keeps the roaches back. So. <laughs> yes. Anyway, we are here today once mm-hmm. again on the five solas, and mm-hmm. we are now through three of them. Is that this, correct? This is the third one. This is the third yeah, one. Yeah, we had an intro. So yep. okay, all right, the intro. And today, Sola Gratia by Grace Alone. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. So, as we were as we were warming up for this. We went to Ephesians 2 8, mm-hmm. and we discovered kind of a, a natural scriptural order. Yes. So, you want to explain that a bit? What, what does that scriptural order might look like? Yeah. So, we're asking the question when it comes to the solas that we're talking about, is there an essential, necessary order in which they have to go in? And the answer is not necessarily. There are some words. I argue that it starts with faith, because faith is the instrument of salvation. So faith alone, then in Christ, so Christ is the object of our faith, the, the mediator. And then by grace alone, grace is the cause or explanation of how we came to have faith in Christ. Then it goes to according to scripture alone, because that's where we get this doctrine of our faith solidified. And then to the glory of God alone, that's kind of the, the conclusion, the outworking mm-hmm. of it. But then Wes said, I always thought it was by grace alone. And I was like, well, Ephesians 2.8, and then we went there and it says... It starts with grace. It says, by grace you've been saved <laughs> through faith. Is that a divine correction? Yes. But really, I, we are taking them, we're not necessarily taking them in order in the podcast, yeah. but we're discussing each of them in detail, right? Mm-hmm. And if this, again, Ephesians uh, 2.8 is not like an order of the solas. So no, right. no, it's not. And or solai. I, I got a correction about this. Solai. Sola means only. So <laughs> yes. it's, right. it's technically correct to say solai. Yes. Gotcha. Now, <laughs> so... Go ahead. And even with these, it's it's important. You know, we're taking them kind of one by one. Right. But remember that they, they all hang together. Yes. They're they're all links in a chain. And break. You really need them all together. Yeah. Faith doesn't just hang out there by itself. It has to be in Christ. And Christ doesn't just come as a redeemer just to kind of hang out there. He comes so that we can place our faith in Him. And grace, we're saved by grace. Well, grace saved us mm-hmm. how right yeah. and then to the yeah. glory of god well what is to the glory of god mm-hmm. i mean they're all in once it's a, there's these prepositional phrases and anyone who knows grammar and mom thank you for raising me on grammar knows that prepositional <laughs> phrases can't exist by them in isolation correct they need they need a verb they're attached they're attached they are yes. subordinate they're modifiers <laughs> thanks now, for explaining that for those of us with a florida public school yes, education yeah. 
I mean, I went ahead of Minnesota one. That's not necessarily better. <laughs> well, I was in parochial school back in Florida. However, I got to tell you, that was like decades ago. So, mm. it was, other than Hebrew class and grammar yeah. or in yeah. Greek. So, let's discuss this. Define then, in this context, define grace. Mm. So, I think the best way to understand this idea of, of by grace alone, defining grace, is grace is the power by which God comes to us through the personal work of Christ and grants us salvation. Mm. And so, and you have to be careful that you, you hold together the, the personal aspect of grace and also the power aspect of grace. Because sometimes grace can be viewed as, as, as if it's some substance mm. that God just kind of has up in heaven and then he just kind of casts down right. on people. But that's an inaccurate. No, because grace is the power of God that comes to us through the person of Christ. And you can never sever those two things. There is no grace apart from Christ. Yeah. All of God's grace. He is the, the treasury of grace, as it were. All the riches of God's grace are found in Christ and in Christ alone. And so in one sense, grace is personal, which is why when John opens his gospel in John 1, he talks about Christ being revealed, he uh, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glories of the only Son from the Father, full, full of, of grace, grace and truth. And truth. Mm-hmm. So grace is, it, is, is a person. It fair to, is it fair to describe that grace as an attribute of God? Yeah, it's an attribute of God. It's a, it's a character of God, so it, it, it's part of his person. Right. But also the way that it is expressed is in and through the person of Christ. Right. So, so grace it's expression is, yeah. finds grace itself. Grace is personal, or you could say grace is a person. Yeah. In um in David Mathis' uh, introductory chapter to his book, which I'm going to hit on later, just because we happen to be going through it and it's we're super relevant to our topic. But in his um, introduction to Habits and Grace, he says something along the lines of that grace is interwoven into uh, the fabric of all creation from eternity uh, past to the future glory, and that's sort of like because grace um, is in in some sense kind of a, an attribute of God. That it's sort of just a part of all of creation, and we have, right. I, I was, you know, maybe we don't have to get into this too much, but we do have to uh, specify here that we are talking about salvific grace, grace pertaining to not common salvation. grace that yeah. he sends his rain on the wicked and the job. Okay, but we're we, talking salvific grace. Yeah, we had someone ask this question recently, um, and I, I think one thing we have to understand is that God's common grace. Uh, so common to all people, not just the elect, would right. be things like God sending the rain uh, when mm-hmm. there's a drought. You know, all, all of the daily comforts, laughter, family, any all of the things we experience. And here's the reality is that each one of us right this very moment deserves God's ever-present wrath. Right. We deserve God's wrath right this very moment. And so for even the the unbeliever for them to not be experiencing the full wrath of god is a grace it's a common grace that we all share in the immediate present right yeah which is even why paul mentions in i think it's Acts 17 that god gives to all mankind life and mm. breath and everything so even yeah. the breath that he gives is a grace yeah. is an example is a form of grace but this grace we're talking about salvation, salvation. Is, is, yeah. yeah the things that pertain to salvation so as one of the as we're reading through these things one of the historical contexts was the debate between grace and faith and which precedes. Mm. 
Yes. Now, this is an important topic, particularly to those of us of the Reformed tradition, mm -hmm. because the argument goes that man has grace, has sufficient faith, and grace is a supplement, or grace is given as needed, yes. which is not the Reformed, nor no. we would argue the biblical. Mm -hmm. Let's expound on that a little bit. Yeah, so it, it, it's like the chicken or the egg right. question. Which, which came, which came first? first? Grace or faith? And, and even in the debate between Protestants, Reformation, and, and the Roman Catholic Church, it's not a debate over whether grace is a part of salvation or if it's not. Right. It's if it's grace alone or not, or if okay. it's grace plus our effort. And so in the Roman Catholic scheme, you, you place your, your faith in Christ— and God supplies uh, grace alongside uh, your, you know, efforts, your ongoing work to... It's an additive. Yeah, you, you cooperate with grace. Right, there's a concurrence, there's a cooperation yes. between. Yeah, so I think one of the statements that was popular in that day that Luther really contested with is God gives his grace to those who do their best. And so, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Yeah, kind that's, of idea. The, that's the modern axiom. And yeah, here. and it's the, the idea of a cooperation with grace. Right. Um, where, you know, you need to do some work, but, you know, when you do, God's going to come alongside and, and even bless that work. And the reality is it has a misrepresentation. It's a mischaracterization of the state of man in sin. It's, it's, a, it's an mm -hmm. optimistic view of man that says man is capable to some mm -hmm. degree when Scripture is... Point blank yeah. that man's yeah. not capable of yeah. any good. Which is why Luther, one of the books that he wrote, which he thought was one of his most important works, was called The Bondage, Bondage of the, of the Will. Will. Yeah. And in there he was arguing against a scholar of that time for the Roman Catholic Church, Erasmus, who was basically contesting for this view that man is, is not so enslaved to sin that he can't cooperate with grace. And Luther was saying, mm -hmm. even if we were supposed to cooperate with grace, we couldn't because of what sin has done to our will and our affections and the whole all the faculties of our being we are bound in sin and it feeds into that it feeds into the the calvinistic notion of total depravity that man mm -hmm. is totally corrupt in all of his aspects yeah. capable not capable of all the evil that can be done but certainly every aspect of his life tainted yes. with sin yeah yeah i think one thing um that might be helpful so when we talk about is grace does grace precede uh, faith? I, I guess my answer would be uh, yes, um, it precedes it, it proceeds from it, mm -hmm. and it's in and through it mm -hmm. um, in the sense of that even the Christian life after justification, when God sanctifies his people, uh, that it's all grace. Um, and then we talk about man's cooperation in that. Uh, however you want to look at it, what it boils down to is that if we are truly dead in sin, completely in need of something beyond ourselves, then it's all grace. For example, when I woke up and, and read the Bible this morning, that was God bringing me to his word. I can't take credit even in even in using the means of grace. It's even grace that brings us to the means of grace. So from, from a theological standpoint, it's all grace. Precedes it, proceeds from it, and it's in it. Yep. So, so these are these can be issues that can be hard to delineate, accurate, well, precisely, and yet we understand them. Here's a phrase we came across in our reading: His grace prepares God's grace prepares man's will and enables him to believe in time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, and that's what, when it says, like, well, at what point does God's grace come to us? Well, in one sense, I mean, it it covers all of our life. Mm. Every single step along the way, uh, God's grace plays a part. Even and before the, in the foundation, before the foundation yes. of the Ephesians yeah. 1, before yeah. the foundation of the world, he is extending yeah. grace to his elect. Mm-hmm. So it's not what moment did you believe, it's what moment did God set his electing love on you, right? right? Um, and and in, going back to Habits of Grace, a phenomenal book, Andrew recommended it to us. I love the book, but he there's this one activity in the workbook, and he, he says, give like a timeline of like God's graciousness to you. Mm-hmm. And so when you're filling this out, one I was thinking of all those years when I was unregenerate, right. and I was just thinking like, God preserved my life. God gave me parents that that taught me Christ. God and then eventually he brought me in justification into a relationship with himself. But if God had set his electing love on me before the foundation of the world, God was actively preserving me and actively bringing me to that point, even while I was unregenerate for all those years. So before, before you were even conceived, Mm -hmm. literally from eternity, he has set his love, his his everlasting love Mm -hmm. upon you. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, and I think one thing that's also important to keep in mind uh, with this conception of grace alone um, is salvation has to be by grace alone because of what sin has done to mm. human beings. And and so when you, I think Ephesians 2 is really the, the most important text. Yeah. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, you know, very well-known text. And it is for good reason. Because when Paul starts... Speaking about uh, our state and sin, he says very clearly and plainly, and you were dead. And this is why... Not disabled. Not disabled. Not partially dead. Yeah. Okay. No, not maimed, not, you know, hard of hearing. Right. It's dead. And so it's un- it, you could actually go through scripture. Here'd be a good, maybe a workbook idea is go through scripture and, you know, that uh, operation, you know, game that you play where you have the human anatomy, whatever. Well, take a spiritual anatomy of what scripture says about all the faculties of man and how well they are functioning spiritually apart from faith in Christ and apart from God's grace. So the Bible speaks about us being blind. It speaks about us being, you know, stiff-necked. It speaks about us being, um, you know, unable to hear. It speaks about our hands being as instruments of unrighteousness. You know, our feet are swift to shed blood. Our, Our tongues are an open grave. I mean, you could go through every human anatomy faculty what does it say about that spiritually in Scripture? And you look, at, and it's not a pretty picture. No. And then Paul sums it up and say, all this means you're dead. Right. So we're not found in the hospital room, you know, unable to move, but we can at least reach out our hand. It's no, we're, we're like Lazarus in the tomb. And if it's not for the grace of God, if not for the grace of God alone, yeah. there would be no salvation. Do you yeah. find that? Do you find that concept of being uh, of you find the concept of dead and sin hard to communicate, and, and therefore the the incredible urgent need for grace. Do you find that hard to communicate, even to believers? Yes, um, I do, and and it's that's actually been something that has been sort of a struggle in my mind. Um, and I, I was, this this last week on Sunday, I was saying, you know, there's one thing that you can count on. When it comes to humanity, there's one thing. It's sin, right? It's that people are fallen. You can take that to the bank. People will disappoint you. It's going to happen. 
um, you will have harsh people in authority, whether it's government or whether it's even just immediately over you. We can take that to the bank and scripture presumes upon this. When you read through your Bible, one thing that is always presumed upon is that man, humanity, is evil. Um, that there is a fallen nature at birth that accompanies every individual. And so, for example, in in First uh, Peter, when he's giving all this instruction on submission, both when he's talking about government and both when he's talking about spouses, uh, when he's talking about um, just even local authority, when he's talking about servant-master relationships, it's always presumed upon that those people are not always going to be a delight to deal with, that they're, they're going to be harsh, unreasonable, unjust. These are the words that he uses. And so, I don't know, I think... I think when you just keep reading through the Bible, you keep going back to the fallen condition of man because it's always presumed upon. Mm-hmm. And as you, as you look at that condition of man, the, the instrument or the means by which God enables men to believe in him, it's, it's, not, it's not to come alongside them. It's to awaken them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think with the, the dead, and you were dead, and why that can be difficult to communicate or grasp is because, well... We haven't experienced death, in the, no. in personally. We're, mm. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Right. And so that concept is very foreign to us. But also, the, when we think of dead, we think, well, I feel very alive. I mean, I make, sure. I make my decision, and I go about my life, and you know, everything is fine and dandy. But the type of deadness that Paul speaks about, especially in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, is a spiritual deadness. And it's a spiritual deadness in the sense of not that we, we're not spiritual beings, that we don't, you know, we just walk around giving God the finger in our daily life kind of thing. But the spiritual deadness is that we do not have the ability to come to Christ, nor the desire to come to Christ, unless God acts on unless us Unless God first. moves unless upon God us first. Pri- yes. And, you know, First John 4, uh, we love because he first loved us. The first cause being. Yes, the first cause, yes. Uh, and so I think the best biblical illustration of this is Lazarus in the tomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think John, in John 11, he intends that to be a physical picture of the spiritual reality of our state mm-hmm. and sin. Yeah. Which is why Jesus waited till Lazarus had been dead a certain amount of days to come there. And he stands before the tomb, has him rolled away, mm-hmm. and he gives a command to Lazarus. Which, you know, you don't, you shouldn't go do that to funerals. At funerals. And <laughs> that would before, be awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, get up! Come on, man. Get out of bed. That's just a great, great, great uh, church skit. Yes. (laughs) But it's not, uh, you know, something wrong for Christ to do to give a command because his word has the power to affect that which he commands. Like Augustine had this saying, God, command what you will and will what you command. So God can give the command because with it, he can also give the willingness Mm. to obey that command or the power to obey. So he does it for Lazarus and Lazarus comes forth. He actually walks out of the tomb. Christ didn't like go in there and move his feet for him and walk him out. He gave the command Mm -hmm. and Lazarus was actually enabled by his own strength and power to come forth. That's the picture of grace coming to us in our deadness and sin and giving us life. And we, the reaction, the sign that grace has come is that we, we walk out. Yeah. I think like, so I'm just trying to, maybe I'm getting too philosophical here. And this might be dangerous road to travel, but oh, no. when when uh, where's when, the edit button? <laughs> maybe later. <laughs> but when Andrew talks about um, 
Jesus giving this command to Lazarus and Lazarus walking out of the tomb. And I think one thing that, and we're going to get into this a little later, but one thing people struggle with is like the fact that we still do things, right? So in sanctification, even though it's all grace, like we still, we still do things, yeah. right? right? And, and Lazarus, he really did get up and he really did walk out and he really did rise from the dead. But what, what, but what is so clear in that illustration is that in doing all of that, he actually did nothing because he was dead. And right. so it's the same did, thing. With there was nothing yeah. initiating exactly. on his part. There was, nothing, yeah. there was no part in which he contributed no. to that physical mm-hmm. resurrection. Yeah. And this helps correct a misconception that when God comes to us in his sovereign grace, sovereign grace isn't the violation of our will. It's the enlivening. The enabling yeah. of our will. It it comes to us giving life, putting oxygen in the lungs, putting you know blood pumping through the body so that what we should be doing, we actually now are empowered and able to do. Mm. Which is you know, a good question to ask about even this, this idea of, of sola gratia, grace alone, is to ask, you know, biblically speaking, what does God's grace affect in our lives? What does it produce? What, what is the, the marks of grace in the life of a Christian? It's that enablement. I, that's mm-hmm. the word I come out of that is the empowerment and the enablement without mm-hmm. which we are incapable completely. And even then, our capability is determined by his grace. Mm-hmm. So faith is a consequence then. So faith, yeah, faith is mm-hmm. the exercise of faith by a believer in Christ is a mark of grace. That's the first sign. It's right. like when when you know the baby is born, the first thing the doctors look for is that they start crying. Mm-hmm. Well, the first mark of grace in the life of a believer who's been brought from death to life is faith. Mm. That's, the, that's the first act of breathing. That's when life. they say it's, it's manifest in time. In time, yes. Although it's been ordained from, from before the foundation of the world. so Purchased in redemptive history in Christ and now applied wow. in our own personal wow. history. How do we find ourselves either coming... Uh, uh, not an, not abusing grace, but mm-hmm. our misunderstanding of it, perhaps corrupting our uh, interaction yeah. with one another, with the Lord. How do we... Focusing on who we are as being dead in sin. So, and I, this is an illustration mm-hmm. um, that I've used sometime. I My first year, and I wasn't the best baseball player. I went my entire high school career without a homer. It was the weirdest thing. Oh, you're terrible. Like I, you're not alone. You're not. So I, <laughs> you're I, not alone. I mean, and I, I just want to get on base. I, I went my entire high school career without a homer. My first at bat in college, um, the guy was throwing like 95 miles an hour. I was super late on a fastball. Got incredibly lucky, and I homered my first at bat in college, dude. And but I, I and remember the crowd goes wild. I remember this feeling of getting into the dugout, you know, because. I knew it was luck, right? I, I knew that I was late on a fastball. It was opposite field. I would, wasn't intending it to be opposite field. It looked good, but I, I knew I, you know, it was just he beat me and I was late and I got lucky. And I remember getting the dugout and just feeling like this this gratitude where it was I was like, God, like thank you for because I, I knew that all the things that had to go right for that to happen. And so when we take that and bring it into our relationship with the Lord. What we need to have that same gratitude where it's like when we read our Bibles, when we're in prayer, when we're in fellowship, when God keeps drawing us to himself, realizing that it's not actually us. 
Just like Lazarus really got up and walked out of the tomb in the same way we really are doing these things. But at the end of the day, it's not us. It's all the Lord and he alone receives all of the glory. And so going back to just the fact that we're dead and then that giving us gratitude for using the means of grace. Mm -hmm. I I think that that's an issue that I have seen, I've experienced in my own life because I know that I'm doing things. Yeah. Let, let's let's be blunt. Yeah. I mean, it, it's great that the Lord got, but I'm the one who got out of bed, mm-hmm. and and not recognizing that that the empowerment, that the will, the desire, yeah, to get out of bed early, mm-hmm. while it's quiet, that isn't natural. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a supernatural act mm-hmm. of grace that's manifested in real time in my real life. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's a discipline. It's it's a discipline. But people, we all know people who are incredibly disciplined mm-hmm. and don't have an ounce of grace. Yeah, yeah. But I, there is something in the un in the believer in which it is manifested at that level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think back to your question of like, what ways can we misconstrue or misconceive of grace? Well, we can see grace as this thing that will come upon us, rush upon us. And inspire us or the light bulb will turn on. And until that happens, we just kind of sit back and wait. So almost like taking grace and thinking about it in such a way that it actually makes us passive spiritually. Okay, that's a great The let go and let God kind of mindset. Which, you know, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, speaking of, you know, our our growing in Christ, our Mm -hmm. sanctification says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Mm -hmm. So that's very active. Mm -hmm. And then that very next verse, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Right. Mm. So, yes, we need to act. But acting, knowing that it is God enabling and empowering. Is that where faith and grace begin to make that, that connection? Because I am stepping out in faith, mm-hmm. relying on the grace that yeah. God extends to me. Yeah, I mean, uh, so Piper calls it uh, acting the miracle. You know, miracle is something that, God does from heaven, like changing water into wine. I mean, the water wasn't asking to be changed into wine. He just did it. But when it comes to our growth in Christ, what we are once doing is we are acting out a miracle that God is performing in us as he's working and willing for his good pleasure. And so we don't sit around waiting for the miracle. We act the miracle. So so God gives, gives you the desire to get up. God implants in you the desire to get up and study his word. Mm -hmm. You get up, mm-hmm. stepping out in faith, believing that, hey, this is I, I'm mm-hmm. going to spend some time with the Lord today. Yeah. But what enabled you to actually, what gave you the desire mm-hmm. was God's grace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. what empowered you to get out of bed to act in faith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you think about it, just even the, the mere fact that you would have the baseline desire for God at all um, is right. grace, right? So. Right. Any any time there's any desire for the things of God, that's grace, and that ought to create gratitude in us. Mm-hmm. Wow! Yeah, in in his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, Jerry Bridges he gives the illustration of how to you know divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Kind of what's a way to conceive of them? Right. And he uses the farming illustration. And he's like, in, in one sense, the farmer he has to till his soil, he has to plant the seed, or else there's going to be no crop. Yet he's dependent on the sun and the rain, and the seasonal harvest, and the weather. And if, if both those factors don't come together, there's going to be no harvest. And he says, God will not do what we must do, namely till the soil, plant the seed. Right. But we cannot do what God must do. He must send the rain. He must send the sun. Mm-hmm. And the, the, both of those things work together in some mysterious way 
that we'll we'll never <laughs> figure out. All right, in an, in an era of what we would call hyper grace, some mm. of the some of the misconceptions of this particular mm-hmm. solo, discuss hyper grace. Mm. So, I'll start with this. I think that the the primary issue of hyper grace theology, whatever you want to call it, is let's not even call. It I don't like I don't like that term. Call yet. it cheap Thank grace. You. Thank you. Cheap call grace. it cheap okay. grace. Yes. Cheap grace. Okay, so I think counterfeit. The, Counterfeit grace, that's a good one. Um, here's the thing, right? If we, if we really believe what God has told us about who he is and, and how he relates to his people, and if we take that and we apply that to our walk with Jesus as, as his followers, if, then we have to also believe that everything God has told us to do, every command he has ever given us, all of the means of grace where we, you know, prayer and fellowship and, and absorbing the word of God, all of it is for our good, right? That God wants to bless us. And, and this doesn't mean financially, it doesn't mean anything, but he wants to bless us, really bless us right? That's who God is. God loves his children. He wants to bless us. And so is it, if so to this like counterfeit grace that says that I don't have to act. I don't have to, to pursue Christ because I have, I'm, I'm going to heaven because of grace. That doesn't, it's a counterfeit grace. It doesn't understand what grace is or who God is. Because if we understand that God is wanting to bless us and that, that everything he tells us is for our good, then we would want to naturally do those things, right? You want to manifest those. Yeah. So you're 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 speaking against a passive presumption. Yeah. Yeah, and even so, I think the this this concept of hyper grace, cheap grace, counterfeit grace, it comes from what I would say is believing a half gospel. Mm-hmm. And so so John Owen said this. He said, when we believe that the gospel is pardon for sin but not also power over sin, yeah. we believe a half gospel. Half gospel. So think, but think of they even sin, want power over. power over sin? That's part of it. It's almost like, so at our house, you know, when we have messes, whatever, we use this magic eraser, which mm. is just a wonderful tool, especially if you have kids, where any anything they, anytime they draw on the walls, whatever, you just take the magic eraser, you wipe it away. And, and yeah. the evidence of that is gone. Wow. It's, it's great. Mm. But that's how many people view grace. It's this magic grace. If I do anything wrong, I can just take God's yeah. grace and I can just wipe it away and it's, it is good. This is the licentiousness yes. that Calvinists are often accused of yeah. rather than acknowledging that the sanctification mm-hmm. is a manifestation of God's mm-hmm. grace. And this is, I think, Titus 2, 11 to 14 is really an important text when it comes to having a full-orbed, well-rounded view of grace. That grace is not just pardon for sin. But grace is also power over sin. That the Christ who justifies also sanctifies. You can't sever those things. All right. So for Titus the, two eleven to fourteen. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live not passively, mm-hmm. but to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. Yes. So Titus 2.14 especially. What did Christ come to do? He came to give himself for us to redeem us. But it doesn't stop there. 
to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. I mean, you've got so many subordinate clauses in yes. there. I'm just thinking yeah. of a diagramming. Yes. Okay. So, so Christ's design and intent in his life, death, and resurrection is to redeem us from, negatively stated, all lawlessness, positively, to purify for himself a people who are zealous for good works. And that's the grace has brought mm-hmm. salvation and training. Yeah. Christ's death isn't just to expunge our sin. It's to help us die to sin. Christ's resurrection isn't just to give us a new clean record. It's to give us a new life yeah. by which we live in a new yeah. way. Mm-hmm. That's, That's what we need. That's and and in, in in within God's design, at the same time in sanctification, it's both Christ receiving glory and His people living the abundant life. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? What is the abundant life? The abundant life is sanctification, mm-hmm. plain and simple. Uh, Peter talks about the blessing when he's talking about submitting to harsh masters, mm-hmm. which that's the last thing any of us would want to hear. Mm-hmm. If you have a boss that's terrible, the last thing in the world you want to do is go home and have your wife be like, oh, you know, you need to be respectful and you need to submit. <laughs> no, you want her to just sit there and complain with you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but but when we're, Peter talks about the blessing in doing that, and he says because of the clear conscience we have before God, right? Mm-hmm. That the abundant life is a clear conscience before the Lord in seeking after Him and knowing Him and growing in our faith and growing in our sanctification. Yeah. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross that we might what? Die, Die to sin, sin and live to righteousness. Yeah. Guys, we... Uh, we really, this is amazing. This is amazing grace. Yes. Hey, we should do a song. No. Let's <laughs> do a song. You can look it up on YouTube. All right. We, uh, I, this has been this fascinating. Is a great song. I, shouldn't, I, I shouldn't downplay singing. Absolutely. I, I really like it. But uh, what a powerful demonstration of Christ's love, uh, the love of the Father, the mm-hmm. love of the Son, the uh, application of this by the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. a Trinitarian mm-hmm. uh, extension of mm-hmm. the power over sin. Fascinating. Well, uh, that kind of concludes our today's episode. What are we doing next week? Next week will be Scripture alone. Oh, my. Uh, Sola Scriptura. Yeah, is it? Yeah, I think is that it Sola is. Scriptura? Yeah, have yeah. we done that one yet? Yep. Sola Scriptura. Yeah. No, we haven't done that yet. And next one after that, Soli Deo Gloria, yes. for yeah. the glory of God yes. alone. We did do, we have talked about uh, Scripture quite a bit. We have. We have. Well, you can't. You we did it in the beginning of the. Uh, the first yeah. series. We got through that. But we are going to conclude today. Thank you so much for joining us on Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee. Again, I'm Mark Murnan. I'm here with West Lauber, Andrew Jacobson. And don't forget to, if you like us, subscribe to us on Apple iTunes. Where are we at? Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, anywhere you can find Hit podcasts. us up, man. Hit us up. Get the yes. latest hit. We might have some merch for you in the future. We'll see you <laughs> next week on episode 25 of Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee. This episode of Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee is now over. You may now exit the quarantine zone.